Hello, welcome back to the Great Northeast Podcast. This is David. Today we're going to talk about the great rock maple, the hard maple, sugar maple, Acer saccharum, one of uh, the more common trees in the woods around here. We're going to get into um, basics. We're going to get into a little nerdiness like me and talking about palmate and pinnate and um, opposite, alternate, all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, So stay tuned, Uh, we're going to get a little nerdy on trees, uh, and let's get right into it. Okay, so sugar maple, Acer saccharum, um, one of the more common trees, like I said, uh, if you see the books, if you know anything, if if, if you're, (laughs) if you know anything about me, you know that... There's one thing that I love and I'm obsessed with. It's trees. I want to know every tree. I want to know what it what it was traditionally used for, what it's used for nowadays. And uh, the sugar maple is one of these trees that's still relevant and still being used in our daily lives. And it's all around you. And it's a, it's it's awesome. It's fascinating. And it's a it's a beautiful tree as well in the fall. So the sugar maple, uh, it's uh, deciduous it's opposite branching it's uh, not a simple leaf it's it's lobed but it's palmately lobed where an oak would be pinnately lobed uh, I'm not sure if I should explain that in this podcast but it's just, just kind of for people that if people like trees they'll kind of know what I'm talking about but if you want to look up uh, what I'm talking about you can just easily look up uh, pinnately uh, a pinnate pinnately compound or palmately compound uh, or pinnately lobed and palmately lobed. Um, those are, it's just kind of interesting. For example, a black locust is, uh, or let's just use black walnut because most people will know what a black walnut is. Black walnut, the entire leaf has a bunch of leaflets and they kind of come out from each other out of one long stem. Uh, and that is pinnately lobed. Now, if you think of a buckeye or a horse chestnut, you have multiple leaflets, but they're all stemming. They all come out from one point, kind of like the palm of your hand, like your fingers all come out from the palm of your hand. That's palmately lobed and pinnately lobed. Or sorry, that's palmately compound and pinnately compound. Um, And that carries on with the shape of leaves. So uh, if you think of an oak leaf that is pinnately lobed, so the lobes kind of come out uh, in in, uh, diagonally each other up the leaf, and then with sugar maple, the lobes will come out kind of all spanning from one point. And if you look at the veins in the leaf, you can see uh, the main veins all, all, all that go to each lobe all span from the base of the, of the leaf from the, where the petiole is. Um, Pretty cool, pretty fascinating, kind of a little nerdy, but I love it. Um, so let's get into, well, the reason we're doing this, the reason I decided to do this tree is because it's a very, uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's still regularly used today. I just like, you should see all the books around me. Holy Moses. <laughs> I have like 13 tree books out. Um, just making sure I kind of remind, remind myself of everything and, and I could give, I'll, I'll tell you guys what, what some of these books are. Uh, my main books that I use for, 
going out in the woods and identifying these trees. Uh, Shrigger maple especially can be very hard because uh, especially I a lot of especially with the winter, a lot of the bark uh, is highly variable with red and sugar maple. It can be highly variable. It's hard to tell what's what. It's easier to tell when the leaves are out. Um, so that's kind of uh, what we'll kind of shoot for. Books that maybe not necessarily getting straight into winter tree identification, but starting off with the leaves. Um, so anyway, so the bark is highly variable. I mean, they, they always try and say it's like sticks in a certain, you know, category, but it I've seen sugar maples that were, you know, 14, 16 inches thick, maybe up to 20, and they're smooth as can be, and then there's also ones that are flaky and big keels coming off of them, you know, so it, it just depends on, on, on the tree. It's so highly variable. So, um, let's talk about uh, why is the sugar, where the sugar maple got its name. It's got two different names. One is kind of similar to the other. It's got sugar maple and it's got rock maple. The other one's hard maple. So sugar maple and rock maple, that's what it's known for. I think it was originally called rock maple. Uh, and the reason being is it is a dense wood. I think it's like 50 pounds per cubic foot dry, uh, which is pretty heavy for a tree. I'm not sure. I think shagbark hickories are heaviest uh, uh, per cubic foot in the northeast here. I could be wrong about that, but uh, I don't think I am. So it's like 40, 50, 45, 50 pounds per cubic foot. Um, and it's used for, I mean, I could, I'll read a passage from one of my favorite books. It's uh, The Trees of New England. So this is the, this book is called uh, The Trees of New England, A Natural History by Charles Fergus. And it's an amazing book. Not only does he get into a lot of attributes of these different trees, but he also talks about the uh, the traditional uses. He just does a really good job at describing and giving each tree its due uh, attention. So here's an excerpt from his book. The value of sugar maple extends beyond nourishing wildlife and people. The wood is hard, tough, and close-grained. The heartwood is a warm and tawny color, and the sapwood, which is frequently three to four inches thick, white and reddish, white with a reddish tinge. Um, the wood polishes to a bright gleam. It weighs 40, oh, sorry, this is right, 43 pounds per cubic foot dry weight. So not 45 to 50, sorry about that. Um, products made from sugar maple are legion, and include our legion, which means many. <laughs> I include boxes, crates, clothespins, shoe shoe lasts, uh, which is I'm guessing something probably like a shoe mold for a shoemaker. Uh, toys, veneers, rulers, bowling lanes, gymnasium floors, rolling pins, cutting blocks, knife racks, tool handles, and bowls. Hard maple flooring in Philadelphia in a Philadelphia store withstood foot traffic longer than. A marble floor did and that was installed at the same time recently a Canadian company has been making baseball bats out of sugar maple major league sluggers claim the resilient wood propels the ball, ball farther than white ash the orthodox choice for bats 
and does not crack as readily. Sugar maple wood is in demand for fine furniture and cabinetry, particularly the decorative types, known as curly maple, quilted maple, and bird's eye maple. In those variants, it is believed fungal growth caused the changes in the structure of the wood fibers, yielding wavy, figuring, dramatic ripples and dots resembling the eyes of birds. Sugar maple makes an excellent firewood. It is the choice, it is the wood of choice for heating your home in the realm of the northern hardwoods. It burns hot and lasts a long time. Doesn't throw off sparks and emits a pretty flame. And it leaves little ash residue. So it's just, I mean, we're not even getting into this, the, the sugar part of the sugar maple and you already have two paragraphs of uses and why it's uh, ahead of everything else. It's an amazing wood. Uh, and we'll get into how it makes sap in a, in a minute here. Okay, so sap content, or sap, how do you tap, how do you get the sap from a sugar maple? You drill into the tree until you hit the sap wood, uh, and then it will start, uh, I guess you could say bleeding. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's the right way to, to put it, but the sap will start coming out from the tree. And so how do you... Uh, collect the sap now if you're doing a major operation like I'm I'm up here in northeast Pennsylvania and when you're driving around you see uh, sections of forest that are these sugar maple stands and they will have uh, tubing all connected all these trees are connected and they all go to one batch and uh, the the trees will I think some of these even some of these uh, operations even will have vacuum uh, vacuum suction to suck the the sap out of the tree, and they all go into one big vat, and then a truck will a truck will come by and collect the sap, and depending on the sugar content, you will get a uh, you know a certain price per gallon. So I think the content the sugar content in and depending on the year, it's very dependent on the year. The, the the sugar content can range from two to seven percent uh, sugar per, to sap. Uh, so that you know, for example, this year was probably going to be very good. It's probably going to be very high sugar content because traditionally, what they say is you want two weeks of sub freezing day and night temperatures to get that sap to to stay down and concentrate in that tap root, and then when it finally starts warming up in, in, in late February, early March, and the sap starts running, that, that sap that has been sitting in that taproot kind of concentrating the sugar, when it first comes up, that's your highest sugar content. So after about two, three weeks of collecting sap, it's not really worth collecting it anymore because the sugar content has diminished uh, pretty significantly. So you only have this limited window to tap these trees and get high sugar content sap and then you boil that down to uh, so the way I've done it is you boil it until it gets to I think what's the well just I'm not exactly sure I know I'm close but I'm not exactly sure uh, the, the boiling temperature of water will say is 212 so once you're when you're boiling the sap or the, the sap once you're your temperature of the water starts climbing past to uh, 212, then you know that it's predominantly sugar in 
the uh, in the pot that you're using to boil and then you can either add more sap or you can you know boil it down to a very thick viscous fluid uh, and make sugar from it uh, the the uh, settlers uh, they would get their sugar from boiling down maple syrup sap uh, to a very thick content and then they, a very thick fluid and then they let it dry and then they just chisel it and grind it for their sugar for the year uh, and I've heard of uh, one of the, one of the people that I work with he talks about uh, when he was a kid they would boil it down and they would go throw it out in the snow and it would harden and it would turn into these like hard candies that you could chew on um, which I haven't done but I would love to do so how do you tap it yourself now the way I've done it you can just do pockets where you drill in put a put a you could easily the taps are like two bucks a pop I think you can go out tap a couple trees uh, put a buck uh, you, you have to get the right drill bit you know let's just say it's a 3 8 drill bit that you drill into the tree you hammer the tap in and then you attach a bucket at the end of the at the end of the tap that'll drip in to your bucket and then once your buckets full then you empty it into a vat uh, the garbage can or you know clean garbage can or whatever and then when you're ready you start boiling it down um, so you could also uh, do uh, the uh oh my train of thought just dissipated so well you might never know what you could also do but the uh, sugar maple <laughs> oh man, <laughs> something, I got distracted, and now I can't get my train of thought back, oh no, <laughs> it's gone, it's gone forever, anyway, so, sugar maple, is it the only tree you can tap, no, you can tap, I, I, myself, I'll tap birch, uh, black birch, or cherry birch, or sweet birch, they're all the same tree, just different names, that's, uh, betula lenta, for the Latin people out there, and that has a very strong wintergreen flavor. Um, and the sap is got all you know. They always say it's got all these crazy healing properties, um, or whatever. So <clears throat> I just think it's it's nice to drink. It's there. Uh, it's it's I, I, I convince myself I'm being healthy. I guess. Uh, but if you want to make sap, sorry, if you want to make syrup from a sweet birch you're going to have to so for example let's just give the what the gallons so you need you need to boil down 50 gallons of maple syrup maple sap to get one gallon of maple syrup on a good year uh, and on a good year for sweet birch it would be I think 100 gallons to one gallon so you see sweet birch sap out there and it's very expensive for very small amounts because it's a lot more labor intensive to get that that syrup to make that syrup uh so the you could also do the same thing you could uh red red maple swamp maple it's the, the same tree the uh, uh acer rubrum they uh that has a lesser sugar content um so People will tap them, but it's a lot less money for 
the red maple sap than it is for the sugar maple sap because of the less percentage. But if you're mixing it in with like, so if you have a stand of predominantly sugar maples and you have some nice red maples, it's not going to affect your sap too much. You just have that all going in the same, same vat. It'll equal out. Now, if you're living south of Pennsylvania, it might maybe maybe a little bit south of Pennsylvania, uh, but I know in Virginia, since the climate's a lot warmer, and it's only four hours south where I am, it's they don't even I don't think they even tap the maples down there because the, the maples have no time they lose their leaves and but th there's not enough time where those those that that sap is sitting in the tap root so there's not really a high enough sugar content in the sap to make syrup so making making maple syrup is only really a northeast and into canada and over in like you know the uh not really just the northeast but the north it's the northern region of where the sugar maple extends up into quebec and ontario and and i think maybe over even into manitoba but But its range doesn't doesn't stop there. It goes all the way down south, and it's it it's kind of cuts off around Kansas. I think I, I think it's there's kind of a a defining line uh, in the in, once it gets deeper into the to the Midwest of where that that tree ends. So the lifespan of the tree uh, it can grow up to 200 years old. Uh, so and there's an example of some reaching 400 years old, but on average, I think a 200-year-old tree, if it's not harvested, obviously, uh, before that for furniture or whatever. So uh, the the Samoras, I think they're called Samaras. Uh, that's the fruit, the kind of helicopter thing that falls from maples. All maples will have these little helicopter fruits. Uh, they feed uh, in evening gross gross, uh, gross beaks, which migrate south uh, during the the winter, uh, or sorry, during the fall. Um, and some of those stalks will stay on the trees even into some of those of those. I guess it's the fruit. Some of the fruit will stay on the, onto the on the sugar maples even into the fall or sorry the winter. And the uh, nuthatches, finches, red and gray uh, and flying squirrels, chipmunks and mice, uh, they'll hoard and eat the seeds. Deer and rabbit will, will browse on the buds. Porcupines will feed on the bark and new spring leaves. Red squirrels use their sharp incisor teeth to gnaw wounds into the tree, causing a flow of sap that dries on the bark. The squirrels will return and lick up the sugar left after the sap dries on the bark. Uh, squirrels return to lick up the... Oh, whoops. I'm sorry, I'm reading another excerpt from this book. Uh, Yellow-bellied sap suckers, which you, the, they do it on a lot of fruit trees. If you've ever been to an orchard, you'll probably see there's all these little holes and kind of like in, in horizontal lines all going all over the tree. And that's the yellow-bellied sap sucker. They'll peck at the feeding walls in the bark, and on warm spring days, gnats and flies are attracted to the sugary sap 
pooling in the wells, and, and the migrating birds, warblers, flycatchers, hummingbirds, and yellow-bellied sapsuckers will eat those insects. So that's pretty amazing. It's a, it's a very important tree for a lot of these migrating birds, as well as our resident mammals and birds. Uh, so, you know, it's a good tree to have around. Also, on a side note, the uh, each tree, each sugar maple, depending on each, in, it's different for each tree, but an individual tree can yield between 5 to 60 gallons of sap each year, which this book says 32 gallons of sap make one, one gallon of syrup uh, or four and a half pounds of sugar which that's a lot um, that's a lot less than I thought I thought it was 50 to 1 but I guess I could be wrong so uh, where, where are you gonna find sugar maples you're gonna find them in moist soils uh, upland and uh, valleys and they'll a lot of times when you find one you're gonna find a lot more now up here in the Northeast you'll have I think we were, we're right at the line of the northern hardwood forest and the oak hickory forest where I, where I live. So in one spot I can be in an oak hickory forest and in another spot 10 miles away I could be in a predominantly northern hardwood forest. And so you have such a versatile amount of trees here that it's, you know, so I think they grow more in the northern hardwood forest and not more up in like the, where I'm like a half an hour away from the Poconos. and you'll have more uh, oak hickory up there and then you'll have where I am you tend to have more northern hardwood forests and then you'll have in the in the northern hardwood forest you'll have concentrated stands of sugar maple with red maple being in there as well and a lot of times uh, American beech will grow with them now the other thing is, that's amazing about the sugar maple is its shade tolerance. I think it's the most shade tolerant tree uh, in the northeast and I think the only one that might be an exception to that would be the American beech might be more tolerant than it. So you'll have a sugar maple sapling that will just sit and the seed will wait and it will wait and or it'll, it'll sprout a little bit because there's a little bit of sunlight and once a canopy tree falls over and creates a forest gap then that tree will race up and take over and become the next uh, dominant canopy tree to fill that that forest gap space but on the other hand these you know tough little trees they don't do well in cities so you have the Norway maple which is similar which it looks similar the leaf does but it's a totally different tree, obviously. But it, it looks similar, and it's more hardy. So when you're walking through the the city, and you see a tree and it looks like a sugar maple, it more than likely is going to be a Norway maple, just because the sugar maple can't stand the salt from the road and bad air conditions. It just doesn't tend to grow well in, in a city uh, climate. So you'll definitely find it out in the woods, uh, but you're not going to really see it in planted ornamentally, even though its fall colors are beautiful. And speaking of fall colors, uh, it can be red 
orange or yellow. It's pretty amazing. So you can have a tree that'll have, that's what's great about the sugar maple, it could have three different colors on one tree. Red, orange, uh, and yellow, and it's so beautiful. Sometimes you'll have trees that are just red, just orange, just yellow. It's so it's so cool, and it's one of the most vibrant trees. It stands out so well uh, in the in the fall when you're tree watching. I guess you could call it. <laughs> so on, I mean, on that note, it's a it's a great tree. It's one, uh, I wouldn't say I'm not sure if it's one of my favorites. I'm definitely impressed with it, though. Uh, the uh, it's definitely a tree worth going out and seeing. And you know, if you haven't had maple syrup before, maybe go buy a bottle or maybe try and tap some yourself and go through the process of boiling that sap down. Uh, and it's totally worthwhile. It's amazing. It's a great experience. Um, but other than that, it's a great tree to have around. It's a, it, it's a beautiful. It, it's just, I mean, all the trees that I'm going to talk about, they're all great to have around. They're all vital to the, to the, the ecosystem. But, I mean, not all of them, because we'll, we'll probably talk about some uh, alien species and invasive species in this podcast. But uh, the sugar maple, it's been around for ages, been utilized by us, and it's still being utilized by us today. It's been utilized by us for hundreds of years, and it'll be utilized probably for hundreds more. And so some of the books that I, I, I used, uh, just to remind myself of different things, because it's weird sitting here talking to no one, uh, I used the Sibley Guide to Trees, I used the Audubon Field Guide to Eastern Trees, and I used, what's my, where is that other book? Oh yeah, and I already mentioned this one. I use the Trees of New England: A Natural History by Charles Fergus. Uh, that's one of my favorite books, uh, favorite tree books. And so the Audubon, and the, and you could also use the Peterson. There's nothing wrong with the Peterson. Uh, I tend to like the Audubon because I prefer pictures a lot of times. Uh, and the Sibley Guide to Trees. I think their illustrations are a little bit better than the Peterson, but they're both fine. Uh, and the and the Peterson's also a lot cheaper than the Sibley. But I mean, I have, you know, dozens more books about trees. If you look at my bookshelf of all the natural history books I have, it's, it's like, you know, I got two things on reptiles and, you know, two things on uh, insects and birds. And, and then I have like 25 books on trees. So, uh, I love trees. I, you know, if you, once you learn to appreciate trees, it's pretty hard not to appreciate everything else. Uh, just what they do for for the environment. I just love the woods. I, I mean, the woods. I've been every. I've been all over the United States, and nothing beats the woods in the Northeast. And it's kind of one of the reasons I did this podcast because it's a very important thing that we realize what's around us and we appreciate uh, what's around us. And I mean, when I go on a walk in the woods, it's a mini vacation. I was talking to my buddy the other day, and we were both saying the same thing. It's like, you don't need to go to Florida to go on a vacation. You can just walk outside and, and or just drive 10 minutes to a trailhead and and enjoy a mini vacation right there and clear your head. And that's what's so beautiful about where I am in Northeast PA is we just have so many lakes and rivers and, and forests and, and state forests and all around us. It's so so hard to get away from it and that's what i love about it all right thank you for listening 
Uh, I don't know what next podcast is going to be, but I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope it wasn't too scatterbrained. I feel like I'm getting a little bit better, cutting out a little bit of that ums and ahs. It's a little weird (laughs) talking to a phone, but thank you for listening, and I hope you have a great day.